Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll break down everything from mandatory minicamp. It is officially in the books. Giants wrapped up day three as they went out and practiced Tuesday, Wednesday, and today. They'll now have a few more OTAs before they break before the start of training camp. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. It is all presented by Coors Light. So we'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets along the way. Pat Shermer spoke to the media a short while ago. Jeff wrapped up his thoughts of what he saw out of his team over the course of the last three days. Was very pleased with the competition mm -hmm. and really emphasized the development of the rookies. And you and I got into this a little bit yesterday, but the two guys that he highlighted... Daniel Jones, which is no surprise, he, he feels as if it's not overwhelming for him compared sure. to other rookie quarterbacks that well, he's been around. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, when you're the when you're the sixth pick in the NFL draft as a quarterback, you, the due diligence has been done. You're going to come in. They know he's going to be accelerated. And he's coming from Duke. He's a smart guy. Uh, it's a very similar offense. So, you know, and it's a matter of, you know, some guys can pick things up quickly. He's one of them that can pick things up quickly in the meeting rooms and then go apply it on the field. That's the big transition for young guys is getting it in the meeting rooms and then taking it out to practice. And the other aspect of that is what Mike Shula talked about yesterday. Once he makes a mistake, he's very good at correcting it and not repeating it again, which you really want to see for any rookie at any position. <laughs> which, but it's not easy yeah, because a lot of times they don't know why they, they did something wrong. Then the coach tells them, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's right. I guess, yeah. When, when quarter. From what it sounds like, he understands what he did wrong, and he's he self corrects it, which is which is very, it's very good for a young guy, and I think the team likes to see that. The other player that Pat Shermer emphasized was Darius Slayton, okay. who, on his first day of rookie minicamp, had a very rough go, a lot of drops, some concentration issues. Nervous. Correct. I'm sure you could toss it up to nerves a little bit, but since then, he's been very pleased with how he's turned the corner. And and this gets back to the conversation that you and I had a little bit yesterday where we were really breaking down the receiving core, Jeff, and when we were talking about are they going to keep five, are they going to keep six, you know, Slayton, the upside with him is he provides that vertical speed, that deep threat, and they're also working him into special teams. So he, he's trying to carve out, I think, multiple roles on this team, which is certainly encouraging in the early stages. Well, I think it's encouraging if I'm uh, Darius Slayton and I hear my name called by the head coach at the end of minicamp, I'm pretty impressed with myself. <laughs> Not just doing bad. something right. I'm just saying I'm doing something right, and you know what, right? We, we talked a little bit about, I don't know if it was you or with John, about, you know, what uh, it was John. He asked me the question, you know, what do players get out of, you know, what do they expect out of minicamp? And each, I said each one of them is different. You know, Eli Manning is expecting different, different things out of this minicamp than Darius Slayton as a rookie. And I had mentioned that if, as a rookie you want to come in here and learn and you want to apply. And when you do both of those and you do it well, you get commended by the head coach. And I think that's a good thing. So a lot of guys can't do that right now because it's, it's just so overwhelming. The NFL playbook is – and, and listen, I can tell you people this, even though I was only a punter, but, I mean, I, I was in the building. Uh, I understand. That's right. But I understand, you know, it's very difficult. It's the, the NFL playbook, offensively, defensively, and special teams, is very complicated. And if you don't have a good football acumen, it's not going to be easy for you. So part of the process when they go and draft these kids is that they understand, they, they can get a good idea of how quickly these guys are going to be able to handle this type of, of um, difficulties with studying the playbook. 
and been and transferring it onto the field. Because this is when you begin those habits, Jeff, to your point. And if you yeah. can at least straighten things out now, you can absorb and digest what they're asking you to do. It's only going to bode well for you when they expand the playbook come the start of training camp. And also, as, as a coach, you're sitting there, you're getting a good beat on your on your position group. And you know that you know if there's nine or ten receivers in that room, you know the guys that are studying. You know the guys that are going home at night and studying their playbook and coming back. And so going forward, you're going to have to monitor that. If you got a guy in there that you can tell is just not putting in the time that you, you think he should, that has to be noted and it needs to be addressed. And then you need to get – you better start studying the next time you come in because what happens is for all of you that played sports or even tried out for teams, even high school or these you know rec teams, whatever it is. Do you remember the old days when – before social media and before the internet, they used to be able to, they put that list on the door who oh, yeah. made the team and you know who the, that's what, that's what happens every day. There's a, there's a, there's a roster there. Every day there's a depth chart and especially special teams that comes in, it changes all the time. And so before you go out to practice, you need to know, Oh, guess what? I just got moved from this position to that position because I stunk at this one and they think I could be better at this one. So it's just a big, it's a big game is what it is, but you're not a game like a, like a fun game. I'm just saying it's a game that you have to play. It's a mental game. It's too, a mental yeah. game. Exactly. Yeah. Because to your point, you never know when they're going to move you around or ask you to take on another role, which is more of a reason why you better be on top of the playbook. Because if they put you somewhere, Jeff, where you have no idea what the hell you're supposed to do, they're going to learn very quickly whether or not you studied up. You're also, you're also going to learn when all of a sudden, anytime that you get to be three and four deep, that's not good. That's not good at all, because really, when you think about the numbers game, when we talk about 22 players, 22 backups, that's 44 guys. There's not a lot of room for threes. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. Once you start getting down low on the uh, depth chart. To give you an idea, that's nine guys. <laughs> 44 and nine, I believe, is 53. Not a lot of threes. Math doesn't necessarily work out in your favor. No, not a lot of threes. One other thing that I wanted to add to what you were saying earlier when Pat Shermer was choosing Darius Slayton to highlight, more often than not, Jeff, when coaches get asked during these mini camps, OTAs, who stood out to you? The generic answer tends to come to the forefront. Well, you know, I don't really want to pick anybody in particular. The rookie class is doing well. so And I'm not one to read into one soundbite out of a coach, but I do think it says a lot that after a three-day stretch where he doesn't have to say something, tell you that one guy in particular or two guys in particular have jumped out to him, that he chooses to go that route and he chose to expand upon the strides that Slade had made, I think that does say something about how, at least in the minds of the coaching staff, he's been making somewhat of an indent there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I would have liked to hear something more on the lines of the defensive players than the offensive players, but maybe we will in training camp. And they're going to have plenty of an opportunity to compete because it's such a young group, specifically at that cornerback area. And DeAndre Baker, speaking of that young nucleus, he spoke to the media and he was asked about, you know, have they given you an idea of where they want to put you in this defense? And he goes, you know, they're just moving me around. He's been with the ones, he's been with the twos. So he's been exposed to a variety of different personnel, depending mm -hmm. on who he's been on the field with. And... They just want those guys to compete, and that's what I think is the one position to focus on amongst many, of course, but this one in particular during training camp when they finally put the pads on. I mean, outside of Janoris Jenkins, Jeff, there's so much inexperience around him. Mm -hmm. 
it's basically let the best man win type of philosophy at this point. I, I don't think the coaching staff is going in saying, well, this guy absolutely has to win this starting job. Granted, Baker they made a trade for. He is a number one a first-round pick, but that doesn't mean that if a guy like Ballantyne or Julian Love is impressive, they're not going to hesitate to put those guys out on the field. It doesn't matter. Uh, put all the draft pick numbers away. Put the competition on the field and let it play itself out. That's how it's going to work. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, there, there could be an undrafted free agent that plays better than any of the first-round guys that are there, and he will play if he outplays them. Bottom line, that's what happens. Grant Haley's the perfect example. Exactly. Also in that position group. Undrafted guy. It's, it, no question. And there's, there's guys every single year in the National Football League where this happens. And they're great stories. But it just goes to show you that you can't, in this business, you're not 100% correct 100% of the time. There, you miss guys and, and things happen. Um, you know, and I mean, miss, you miss guys on you think are good and they're not. And you miss guys on who you don't think are any good and they become good. So... You know, and that's the great thing about football is because it's a, a, a sport where you can have going into the training camp, 90 guys on your roster. You have an opportunity to, to go out there and make a make the team if you can play well. But I will tell you this, and it always comes back to this. The young guys have to study. They got to know their playbook. They got to understand special teams and execute those really well and then become a backup player at one of the positions. Because if you're an undrafted free agent coming in here to start in the National Football League is very, very rare. I mean, it happens with maybe a kicker or a punter or something like that. But when you're talking about a starting corner, undrafted, free agent, it's very rare, but it can happen. But your whole your obligation is going to be on special teams and being able to be a quality backup. Because that's the best way to solidify a roster spot to begin with, especially if you're not necessarily a starter. Absolutely. You can't contribute on special teams. You're going to be in trouble. One other note before we open up the phone lines. Nate Solder addressed the media. He had an ankle procedure a few weeks ago. Says he's certainly improving in terms of the rehab. Was asked whether or not he's 100% certain he'll be ready for training camp. Sort of jokingly added, well, does anybody know if they're going to be 100% when it comes to the start of training camp? But I think all indications are he'll be, be ready, and he yeah. should be. There's no concern over a setback, but this was the first time that he spoke to the media since he got that procedure done. So uh, it was certainly encouraging to hear from him as well. And those are those are procedures. That's what they are. They're, they're surgery, but they're procedures. They're little clean-outs, I exactly. guess. Yeah. Um, I, I've had them on my knee, and I'll tell you, you're, you're backing up and running within a couple, two or three weeks. I mean, it feels, depending on the severity of it, but for the most part, it's, you know, there's guys that go, that go on, they get the knee cleaned out and they're on for three weeks, they're out. And then the next thing you know, they're starting again. So it's just, and it helps. It's not a bad thing. Um, and you know, a lot of people were asking, well, why didn't they do it earlier or later or whatever it is? But you know, you got to try to figure out what's best for the player. And if, can you treat it with medicine? Can you treat it with rehab? And then surgery is always the last, it the should last. be the last resort. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, why go under the knife if you don't need to? Yeah. And then orthoscopically, it's really not that big of a deal anymore. It's very easy stuff. And, and re, and the recovery is very quick. Yeah, actually, one example that comes to mind, the Bengals running back, Joe Mixon, mm -hmm. this past season, he had arthroscopic knee surgery. I want to say maybe like four or five weeks into the season, wound up missing maybe two games and was already back on the field. <laughs> exactly. And that was right in the middle of the yeah, season. Yeah. So yeah. to your point, I mean, mm -hmm. once again, it, it's I think the technology has come so far, Jeff, that 
yeah. they have worked out this procedure to a T where there's not really major concern. And it all depends on what they're doing orthoscopically. Sometimes they're they're just going in there because there's you know there's there's cartilage or something that's caught, and they just have to snip it off, and you know they're done with it. You know, um, there's there's different grades to the to the uh, to the procedures, and you know some of them are a little bit more detailed than others, and which requires a little bit more rehab time. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. He's Jeff Fegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks for tuning in to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Let's head to the phone lines and we check in with Mike, who is in Oakland, California. He gets us going. What's happening, Mike? Hey guys. Good morning to you. Good Hello. morning to you. What do you got for us? Yeah. Well, you know, um, the last time I called, I, I uh, had some reasons for optimism. And, you know, I started a little slow. And uh, so I want to go back to it. And this time I'm going to try to do a better job for you. All right. So, um, Sounds good. <laughs> so yesterday you guys you guys talked about Corey Coleman. And, um, like, you know, he's my, my um, fingers crossed breakout, breakout guy this year. Um, you know, okay. I'm hoping for, like, a Victor Cruz type season because I'm always hoping for a Victor Cruz type season from somebody, right? Yeah. But, um but so I, you know, I, I've been really interested in him, and I was listening yesterday, and I went back and kind of looked into his history a little bit to see what the chances are that this guy can turn it around and really, really do something for us. And so I just want to give you give you my little summary, my little reason for optimism. And then I, I'd like to say uh, I'd like to also pick your brain about C.J. Conrad also real quick. But um, so here's the thing about Corey Coleman. Here's what I found. So I looked at his draft profile. You know, the speed's unquestioned. You know, uh, the Bolitnikoff Award in 2015 being the best wide receiver and all that hype, which, which you know, helped him get 15th overall drafted by the Cleveland Browns. But when all the draft profiles I read, the warning on him was kind of, uh, you know, like low floor, high ceiling guy. And the concern about the floor was that he did not run a full route tree in college. And so what they kind of said was he could be used well by a smart offensive coordinator but it was going to take time and development development for him to turn into a really you know nfl quality uh full utility receiver so you look at what actually happened to him um first he got injured yeah he had two broken season. hands yeah he had two he broke his hand twice in his two seasons yeah, and, with Cleveland. And so what is that so he missed the preseason and then he missed four to six weeks of his first season for a broken hand. Then he broke it again in the second season, missed another like eight weeks, didn't play till late November, actually had surgery on that one. So you got a guy who's supposed to be a development prospect who basically didn't play in his first two seasons. And then, you know, he was with the Bills for less than a month and the Patriots for nine days. Yeah, so, he was barely with those you know, guys. Right. So so being now now he's got some time under the giant system, you know, the capabilities there. If this guy can run a bunch of different routes and he can learn the offense, then I still think, you know, maybe there's some great upside to him. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I think Jeff and I emphasized that yesterday. I actually tweeted about it yesterday, too, because Eli had a really interesting quote saying that he's talked to Corey Coleman, and Coleman said, once I know a system— uh, it's through the roof for me. I mean, I, I gained confidence and I feel mm -hmm. a lot better about myself. So now that he's got an entire offseason with the Giants, because remember, he was signed in October last year, went yeah. on the practice squad, then was called up about a week or two later. And, you know, they were easing him in. They knew that he didn't necessarily know the entire offense. Now you give him a full offseason, hopefully he stays healthy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of upside and there should be a lot of excitement surrounding Corey Coleman. I think Eli sounds excited and it's somebody that I think adds a new layer 
to this offense bring something different to the table compared to Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. So this is probably his last opportunity, but it's a great opportunity sure. if you're Corey Coleman. He's you also can't got, ask for more. He's also got tremendous speed. So, you know, that that's a good opportunity for him to come in because, you know, Golden Tate and, and Shepard, they're quick, but they're not they're not Corey Coleman quick. I mean, so he can definitely take the top off of a defense, and I think that's what they want from him. And we'll see what happens. But it's all with all what we've heard about and what's been going on, he's doing the right things. Yeah, and that's awesome. And I think you know, you guys pointed out how good he was on kickoff return. So if you get the ball in his hands, you know, the guy can clearly make stuff happen. So I guess for me the biggest thing about looking at his background was if you if you acknowledge that the guy was drafted as a development prospect, but then he didn't really have the time to develop because of injury, then maybe it's unfair to just consider him, uh, you know, a bust who's a, a washout with another chance that maybe he didn't even really get that chance in the first place. So that was, that was my, um, my big take on his background. So yeah, I'm really Good. excited about him. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, we're in 2019, he was drafted in 2016, 18 was pretty much a wasted season because he moved around from team to team and he was with the Giants for only half the year, so he played 19 games in 16 and 17 combined. So he, he missed mm -hmm. a handful of games in each season, and if, if you go back to his numbers, you know, when he first came on the scene, he put up some good numbers with Cleveland. I mean, he was pretty much their number one guy, and then unfortunately, the injury sidelined him. So it, it's sort of been an interrupted career, Mike, I, I think is the best way to describe yeah. it, but he's still extremely young. I mean, we're not talking about a guy that's been in the league for over five years. We're talking about less than five years. I think the window is very much still open for him. Yep. Cool. I'm glad, glad to hear that. So fingers crossed. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to also ask you about C.J. Conrad, and I, and I tell you the reason why um, you know I'm 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 interested in him is that for a tight end, you know, a tight end that actually is is a dual threat, and by dual threat I mean he can block as well as as get out in a pattern and catch. You know, I've just I always believe that that is a great tool for an offense and really really changes things. And the tight ends that I think about over time, you know, I'm, I'm not so excited about a guy that's really a wide out that, that, that comes in close and doesn't really block. So I figure you might as well just call him a receiver. So the thing I hear about Conrad is that he's, he's really a dual threat kind of guy. And if he doesn't have top end speed, you know, I kind of turn back the clock and I'm sure you guys remember Jake Ballard. Yeah. Course. That dude was he was so slow. He was so slow, and he made so many critical plays on our Super Bowl run because the guy just had a feel for where to be, and and somehow, even though um, I don't think anybody ever expected him to have great hands, like he caught the ball. Yeah, and he made a number of big catches. So I, I think if you're asking what Conrad's chances are of making the roster, I mean, is that the big question here, Mike? We lose yeah, it's what his chances are, and, and or not you see kind of a dual threat guy who can catch the ball. Well, I mean, as far as dual threat, until until he puts the pads on, well, Jeff, he absolutely has to. I agree with you there. But until Conrad puts the pads on, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves by labeling him automatically as a two-way guy. I, I think right now, since they've got you know Fair shorts enough. and jerseys on, you can only tell so much about the physicality of a player. So let's see what develops in training camp before we go that sure. far to say Conrad is distinguishing himself from a Rhett Ellison or an Evan Ingram and doing things that those two guys don't bring to the table. Scott Simonson is also on the roster. He was on the roster last year. So, you know, th there's established guys that have been in the system that 
to your point, Mike, Conrad's going to have to prove that he could be a very steady blocker, not just a guy that can run out of catch passes if he truly wants to have a legitimate shot to get on this team. Because Ellison can catch, Jeff. Ingram can catch. Simonson can catch. So Conrad's going to have to do something different to, to justify why they should keep him compared to one of the other guys. Yep, and it happens every year. Um, you get down to the very end, and a lot of things happen. Um, there are salary cap imprecations that happen with these young, you know, younger guys and veteran guys. Um, there's injuries that happen at a position. All you can ask for if you're if you're this guy here is to be in camp, do well, and get as far as you can. And because you know what, it's it's beyond that. It's not out of your control. Um, they can only keep three guys. It's really what they're all going to keep. And right now. You know, Lance had mentioned the guys ahead of him all were here last year, so he's got an uphill battle. But, you know, he's a big kid. Right. He's 6'4", 250 pounds, and, um, you know, dual threat. I think that mainly everybody's got to be a dual threat nowadays. You've got to be able to catch the ball and block. But I think that uh, we'll see a little bit more about him, when, like, like Lance said. When he gets the pads on and he can get a little bit more contact at the line of scrimmage, we'll see how he gets off the line of scrimmage. We'll see how he uses his hands, and we'll go from there. All right, thanks, guys. You're welcome. Mike. Okay, appreciate thank the phone you, Mike. call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's head back to the lines. Don is in Texas. Don, okay, welcome Don. the board. What do you got? Hey, Lance. Hey, Jeff. Two days in a row. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for uh, weighing in. What do you got for us? All right, I have two questions, one for each of you, one for Lance and one for Jeff. And it's, it's, I'm glad you guys are touching the wide receiver topic. It's exactly what I'm calling for. Okay. So on, on your perspective, Lance, have you seen and watching Shermer over the past couple seasons – have you and, and watching Daniel Jones at Duke, they did a lot of five-receiver spreads. When Shermer was at his best with making calls with Minnesota, he would take McKinnon out of the, out of the backfield and slot him out and have five-receiver <coughs> spreads. Now, I know you have to have a half-decent old line to do something like that. Early in camp, are you seeing anything as far as those type of uh, personnel being made? And my second question for Jeff is, since we're talking about the wide receivers, and we're, you know, when you're talking about wide receivers three through six on making the roster, obviously special teams plays a role in this. Would you, Jeff, as a former player, rather have consistent possession-type wide receivers with good hands that you know they're pretty much going to catch it 90% of the time, or would you rather have vertical threats with not-so-good hands and sometimes <laughs> dropping the ball as an ex-player and punter? Yeah. What would no. you rather have? And me personally, when I played, we had our receivers classified as either bricks or pillow hands. Yeah. Were you going to drop it or were you, were you soft-handed to catch it? Well, you want me to answer mine first? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm taking the guy that's going to catch the ball. And, um, because not, not only that, the guy that catches the ball is a receiver. He can make plays no matter where he catches the ball, as long as he's catching it, right? I mean, he could do a slant route. He could do a nine route. He can do you know, a 15-yard out. And up, and if he catches it, I'm good with it. Um, possession guys, fine. The other thing is, is that I want guys that are going to compete and be able to do other things. Okay, so I can't count on the guy that's going to run that and run by these guys, but it drops the passes. Yeah, he, I'm going to get some good plays out of him, but consistently, I'm not. So I would rather have the guy that's going to catch the balls all the time. Um, was it a two-part question? I think that was just that was it, right? And which one do you want? I want the guy. I want. I want the sure hands. I want the pillow hand, not the brick guy. <laughs> <laughs> you answered it. All right, good. I mean, as far as, you know, five wide, 
I, I would That's slightly, yeah, that is a lot. That's number <laughs> one. But but Don, I, I, I just want to understand what the question was because I would argue that the more targets you have, then you don't really have to worry about your offensive line because your quarterback can get rid of the football quickly, especially if you have one or two of those targets running shorter routes where they're coming immediately back to the football. So I actually think the more targets you have, you're actually taking pressure off of your offensive line. But as far as the Giants and how they're going to utilize personnel, I think Evan Engram is going to be a guy that they can move around. Saquon Barkley, they could certainly line up, and then they could have you know one or two wide receivers at their disposal, but but I don't envision it becoming a popular alignment where, you know, you're going to see five guys lined up wide and they're really going to dig deep into their bag of tricks. I, I think they like to mix and match with their personnel, and I think they also like to have multiple tight ends out there too. So I, I can't really envision a popular alignment where you're going to see, you know, a vast amount of wide receivers and that's going to be their only game plan. That I'd be really surprised. And I mean, going back to his Minnesota days, he had Stefan Diggs, he had Adam Thielen, and you're right, he did, you know, line up McKinnon out of the backfield. But, you know, beyond those two, Minnesota didn't really have a great deal of depth at the wide receiver position, and Kyle Rudolph was their main tight end. So, I mean, you'd sometimes see the tight end of the two wide receivers, but he wasn't throwing out a lot of other guys beyond that because they just didn't have the personnel to do that. Got it, got it. Yep. And I'm going to take one more question if I can, Lance. I'm glad you mentioned his name, Kyle Rudolph, and then I'll take my answer off the air. Kyle Rudolph, do you think there's any chance he could end up being a giant via trade or whatever possibility? Thanks for taking my call, guys. All right, Don. Appreciate the phone call. Well, I think there was a report that he was not happy with his contract there was a or something yeah. like that. Um, listen, there, there's always a chance. There's always a chance. Um, it's just the way that the NFL works and – uh, depending on what his demands are or what, what, what's going on there. Yeah, there's always a chance because bottom line, no matter not, this is a, aside from Kyle Rudolph, you're going to hear people say all the time in this business, we want the 53 best players. We want to put the 11 best players on the field. If the giants can had to maneuver a way to get him here. And if it, if it was presented himself and he thought that Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer thought that Kyle Rudolph was the best option behind Evan Ingram, a young guy, and the depth there, then he would be here. They would make, they would do it. Uh, now, listen, speaking of, it, he would be here if it could work. I mean, if he's asking for $15 million a year as a tight end, he's not going to work, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. As far as the finances, I, I'm just looking at his contract. He's due to be a free agent in 2020. Now, the reason I bring that up, Jeff. That's still a long ways away. Well, it is, but he essentially just has to play out this season, and then he can hit the market. The reason I bring that up oh, is 2020. If, 2020. Oh, so I'm he sorry. doesn't have a contract in 2020. Yeah, 2000. This is his last year. Oh, okay. Of his contract. All right, then so, that's okay. So I, I guess the reason I'm bringing that up is if you're that enamored with the guy, why not just wait to sign him in free agency as opposed to giving up a valuable asset such as a draft pick for him. Mm. that's just one way to think about it. I completely get your point, and you're right. If you have an opportunity to improve the depth chart, then you wouldn't hesitate depends on depending the on what Minnesota wants. It's correct. Depends, yeah. and, and I don't necessarily know because we're not privy to those conversations or whether or not Rudolph truly wants out of Minnesota. But the other thing <laughs> that I would want to know an answer to is you brought up Evan Engram. Okay, Evan Engram is the number one tight end on this team. I, I don't think the Giants envision a situation where they want to limit his snaps, Jeff. If anything, they want to keep him healthy and get him back on the field. That's right. So you're now going after Kyle Rudolph, who's been a starting tight end in Minnesota. Is he now willing to be that second tight end? 
would he be comfortable in that role, Jeff? Probably not because he wants a new contract. He wants new money. So meaning if this is the final year of his contract, I think you hit on a really key point. He wants to, usually guys in the last year of their contracts, they want to put up good numbers, yeah, right? Because they want to bring up their stock. So if you're not bringing him to a team where you already have an Evan Ingram and you know Ingram is going to be the star guy and you saw what he did in the final four games of last season, is it an ideal spot for a guy like Kyle Rudolph? No. You know, these are the things that you have to talk about. Yeah. As a front office, uh, anything. You, you've got to also speak to the player and what he wants out of it. So I, when you line all of those factors up, it doesn't seem, at least on the surface, as an ideal fit. But once again, if the Vikings are asking for like a seventh-round pick, hypothetically, I, I, I think you would probably run over to Minnesota and say, take the seventh-round pick and we will gladly take another tight end off yeah. your hands. Yeah, and you don't have to give him a new contract. He plays on no, your team correct. for a year he and he's a plays free agent. And, and at the end of the day, even if you don't give him a new contract, I still think it's worth the gamble of sacrificing a seventh-round pick for a player like yeah. Kyle Rudolph. Sure. The, the question is, would you roll the dice with an unknown commodity who's not guaranteed to make your roster, or would you rather take a chance on somebody who's proven, who's a veteran talent, who's been through schemes, who knows what he's doing, and take a chance on him for one year? I, I think it's a no-brainer under those circumstances. Let's there head you go. back right. to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Joe is in Pennsylvania. Joe, welcome to BBKL. What do you got for us? Hi, Joe. Hi, hi guys. Uh, I thought the question yesterday was pretty interesting there on uh, you talked about the offense and defense getting better, giving up points. Scoring points offense and scoring defense. Yep. To make the playoffs. And, and you also included uh, turnovers. That would be a big thing on it. And we were on the plus side. I think you left out one thing that might add to that that we have improved on. And I think, I don't know what it was last year, but I, I'm hoping this year with the offensive line getting better in that time of possession, where if the offense can control the ball better, you know, that's going to help out the defense. I think that that could be a a big plus for us, too, this year, you know. I'm thinking we were going to be more of a possession team, wouldn't you think that, than a big play team? Well, I think time of possession, a lot of it has to do on first and second down. Um, what you're doing on those so you can convert your third downs and stay, keep your offense on the field, you're exactly right. Um, I, I still think that this offense can be a big play offense, Joe. I, I, but I'm do gonna, you? Yeah, I do. I really believe they can. Yeah. But I think that the, I think you would rather – I think Pat Shermer would rather be a controlled offense with Saquon Barkley. You know, yeah. running the football, making first downs, moving the field – Getting down there, scoring some points, taking eight minutes off the off the clock, and go put the ball and put put your defense on the field and let them play. I think well, that's kind of way they want to play. I think you're going to get a little, you're going to get some big plays in there. Of course you are, but I think the the the, the offense itself, I believe, is designed about controlled and and really running the offense through number twenty six. Well, right. If we can uh, like the offense with the offensive line and not making penalties and stuff and. We can control the ball. I think that could be be a big factor too. To uh, you know what I mean, winning too. Well, but so, you still uh, need to score though. At the end of the day, yeah, regardless right. of how much right. time you eat up, I'll give you an example. Kansas City, because I'm looking up the numbers. The Giants first of all were 29th in the NFL last year in time of possession, so that's well, right at the bottom that, of the rankings. Right, that, okay. that wasn't good. But but Kansas City, Joe, the Chiefs, one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL, were 26th. 
They held the ball for 29 minutes, 11 seconds every game. Now, what was the difference? Well, the Chiefs, they were scoring quickly, right? Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, Big home play. run, home run. But the bottom line is they were getting into the end zone consistently. So you don't have to be high in time of possession if you're putting together consistent touchdowns. Now, Saquon right. Barkley, Jeff, you, we know every time he gets the ball, he's capable of going off for mm -hmm. a home run. So Yeah, we don't. We don't want to go on an eight, ten-minute drive and have to kick a field. Bingo. Oh, that, yeah. That's my point. So time of possession, the reason why we didn't bring that up much yesterday is I don't think it's necessarily the best indication that you actually have a great offense if you're not coming home with touchdowns. What good is it if you keep scoring three yeah. points? It doesn't. You don't have anything to show for time of possession. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at our receivers, Shepard and Tate. Do you think, like Cruz, you think they rank ahead of Cruz or as good as Cruz yet? You know, because Cruz could really, he'd always come up with a big explosive play too, you know. And I don't know if they have yet. You know, they are good steady players, but I don't know if they have came up to. Uh, sure. Yeah, you know what, I think that I think that Golden Tate has had his share of big plays. I think that he's going to have his share of big plays here. And I think the Sterling Shepard has shown you to make some big plays. But he's been second fiddle to Odell, you know, yeah. you know, as far as being the number one guy. I feel like maybe now he'll have that opportunity a little bit more to make some of those big plays. Yeah, he's young. Is Coleman as fast as the guy we drafted there? The, Slayton? The, the rookie we drafted. Is he as fast as him? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I, Coleman's got the vertical speed. I mean, I, I to throw out a 40-yard dash time, he's removed from his draft. So I don't know exactly how accurate that is, but Coleman's got speed, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. One one question before I get out of here or there. I'm, I'm still looking uh, uh, the biggest concern on our team, and I, and I think we have a lot of uh, uh, potential and a lot of uh, – whatever, fighting for the job on a lot of places like that. But I'm still a little concerned with that. I, my biggest one, I think, is going to be the middle linebacker there. I, I think what's-his-name's playing with the first. I can't think of his name either more than Goodson there. Now he's been in there. Uh, what would your be your biggest concern at any position? If And that's it. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Joe. Appreciate You're the welcome. phone call. Well, I mean, about? listen, what's-his-name is some player. Let me tell you. Have you seen what's his name play, John? No, yeah, he's turn. been playing yeah. with the ones. The ones? Now. Oh. Uh, uh, he's been ahead of Goodson. Uh, I, I, I've been here and. Uh, Not Stupar. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean, you talk about. Oh, you're talking about Ty Davis. You're talking about Tay Davis? That's who you're talking about? Yeah, Tay yeah, Davis. Right. Okay, yeah. Tay Davis. Yeah, who, who was on yeah. the roster last year? Yeah, yeah I, well, I think he's been being put ahead of uh, Goodson now there. Well, I, I would not read too much in and appreciate the phone yeah. call, Joe. Do not read into who's playing with the first team and the second team. They're mixing guys in and out. You've had guys miss practices because they're holding them back because of injuries, personal reasons. So it fluctuates every single day. I, I know the media and the reporters, they love to tell you this is who lined up on the first team. In the big picture of things, let's get to training camp, and then we'll have an opportunity to decipher who's separating from the rest of the pack. Right now, to me, it's irrelevant who's lining up with the first team because, once again, they're moving guys in and out. I, I would say linebacker overall. I, I, would, I would give Joe that. I would. Yeah, I, would. I, I think that's a fair assessment, that yeah. if there's a, pos a position on the team right now that you're— you know, you want to see something to feel a little bit more secure. I think linebacker falls under that umbrella. Yeah, especially the middle linebacker. I mean, Ogletree is a solid veteran. He had a good year last year. He's always around the football. I'm amazed at how many interceptions he gets in practice and in games. Um, 
But B.J. Goodson, you know, he's a guy that's very inconsistent, you know, so he's got to pr- improve on that. And then as far as the depth behind them, you know, it's not that it's not that great. Um, your outside linebackers, I'm more excited about them than I am the inside. So, yeah, I think that's a that would be a good a good place to go. I, I look at the other positions at safety. I'm not you know, that's that's I'm not worried about that at all. Um, and then you look at the cornerback position. I'm actually excited about the cornerback position because, you know, those corners, they're all great athletes. They really are. The, the cornerbacks are extremely athletic no matter who they are in the National Football League. It's just a matter of, you know, their game level, how they can play on game day. So I'm not worried about those. And um, when you when you go to the offensive side, I, I'm pretty they're pretty solid across the board there. So I, I agree with Joe on the linebackers. We'll see what happens there. I just hope that those guys can stay healthy. Yeah, because as you mentioned, and I'm looking through the list again, especially on the interior, yeah. you, just, you got a lot of young guys, Jeff. Outside of Alec Ogletree, it's a youth movement because, you know, even B.J. Goodson, who's entering his fourth year in the league, Already. remember, Goodson's been dealing with some injuries over the course of his career. He wasn't necessarily a full-time player right out of the gate, so mm-hmm. he's still learning. He's still developing. Tay Davis, we're only talking about his second year in the league. Ryan Connolly, they just drafted, and he's probably going to make more of an impact on special teams no because question. he did such a good job at Wisconsin in that department. You know, Jonathan Anderson, he's been... Here and there, he's got a little bit more experience than the rest of the group. Mark McLaurin is another undrafted rookie. And and Nate Stuper, who you brought up, who is a fundamentally great player, but also mainly a special teamer during the course of his career. That's where he made a name for himself. So, you know, when you look at the interior linebackers, that's the group right there. So, as you mentioned, Jeff, if Alec Ogletree, God forbid, goes down and he's got to miss two or three games, you know, who emerges? Who becomes a security blanket? That's why training camp becomes so important for this position, okay? You know, who's going to make plays on a daily basis and who's going to jump out to you during preseason games? I'll tell you another interesting position group to look at this year, aside from Saquon, is that running back position. Um, you know, there's some competition there. There and is. So we'll see what happens with Wayne Gallman. Um But that's, you know, quietly, you don't talk about the running back position because of 26, but... You know, you always have to have a guy behind you or two. And so that's going to be another intriguing competition for the guys. You know, Paul Perkins is back from injury Mm -hmm. after missing all of last year. They just recently added Rod Smith, the former Dallas Cowboys. So I'm with you. I think that there's some battles and Paul Perkins should know better than anybody. When Perkins was a young player, you know, he got opportunities because of injuries. So Mm -hmm. you never know when your number is going to be called. And I, I think what... Pat Shermer and Mike Shula have both been emphasizing, and we usually talk about this facet of play whenever it comes to running backs. Who do they trust most, Jeff, in pass protection? No question. Who do they feel they could put on the field on third down if they were to take Saquon off the field and they believe can serve as an extra layer to the offensive line? That's important. I bring up this story all the time. I don't know if you remember this game, Jeff. Giants in Cleveland a few seasons ago, 2016. So this is an opportunity for Paul Perkins. Paul Perkins is in the game. It's a pass-rushing situation. And they blitz the linebacker (laughs) who comes right up the gut Cleveland, Jamie Collins, who's now back with the Patriots. Paul Perkins steps right in front of Eli, protects him, and Eli's able to take care of business. And they talked about the coaching staff at the time. I, I remember this distinctly. It was 
just everything coming together for Paul Perkins and him understanding the timing, understanding the assignment, and then they knew we can put the young player in that position sure. and we don't have to he be concerned. He proved it to him. Proved it to him on that play, and yep. that's what it takes. So, you know, that's what you want to see out of any player, young or old, how they can handle those circumstances. Let's head back to the phone lines. Dave is in Cranford, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dave? Hi, Dave. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Lance. Um, first thing I wanted to say was, the uh, you know, all the shows are great. I, for people who haven't had a chance to listen, they should really go on and listen to your guys' show yesterday. I, I thought your... Uh, the dialogue, the passion, the arguments—it uh, was one. It was, it was awesome. So I just wanted Thank to, you. you know, people people should go and listen to that. I love when you guys, you know, both of you are, are passionate in your own way. It, it was great to hear and great to see. I couldn't listen to it live, so I listened to it later in the day. Very good. Um, well, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate that. I, I want. I want to mention two things. One, one, one. I really didn't want to talk about because I hate getting dragged into it. So I'm almost embarrassed to bring it up, but. It, it, in one of them is, is Daniel Jones. It, it is amazing to me, and you guys might just shake your heads. I don't know. It's amazing to me the same people covering the team <laughs> that were so down on the pick, like it, you know, Gettleman oh, I know lost his mind. Shermer, Shermer forgot everything he ever knew about evaluating quarterbacks, and not like the two of them have any vested interest in the pick. By the way, out of out of everybody else in the in the decision room, so. You know, and and now those same people are the ones pushing the cause out there that this guy should be given a shot to start over Eli right now. And and I and I almost feel like it's like bait and switch. I almost feel like they want the Giants to like take the bait so that then they can turn the tables on Daniel Jones and start ripping him again. It's 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 just it drives me crazy. Am, am I nuts? No, no, you're actually correct. That welcome to media 101. <laughs> <laughs> Stirring that pot. Stirring it. Yeah, I Selling think, the papers. Dirty I, laundry, oh, baby. Oh, indeed. I, I think there is some validity behind what you're saying, uh, Dave. I, I think there is an interesting twist in this lovely narrative when there's no football to really truly analyze and break down. L let's look at which quarterback's doing better in my mind during the course of practice. Here's a perfect example. I, I don't know, Dave, and, and the rest of our listeners, and, and Jeff, I don't know if you saw this, there was a question posed to Mike Shula the other day during his press conference, which relates to what you're talking about, Dave. Mike Shula was asked this exact question. He first was posed with the statement, Eli Manning during practice doesn't look like he's throwing the ball as effectively as he's been in the past. That, that was the initial phrase. And yep. it, it was to get some type of reaction that Daniel Jones is outperforming Eli Manning in their underwear and they're running around and all that good stuff. And Mike Shula, to his credit, Mike said, I completely disagree with those sentiments. And I think Eli is throwing the ball fine. I was on the record. I, I'm obviously <laughs> claiming what Mike Shula said and, said. and he did say this. Mike Shula a few weeks ago said he thought Eli Manning was in the best shape of his career. Yeah. And he thought he was throwing, throwing the ball w with uh, – the best of his ability compared to what he's seen since they've been together. So, you know, credit to Mike Shula for taking the tennis ball and then just sending it back with a nice relay there. But I, I think there is some validity to what you're talking about, Dave. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's 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 just it's fascinating to watch. the The other comment is is a, just about the team overall. A friend of mine is actually a offensive line coach in in the Big Ten, and he was in two weeks ago. And what he said to me was fascinating because he was in recruiting for a, a team outside of this area. And he, 
And so I asked him more about, you know, what I can expect for the Giants this year. He's a big Packer fan. He knows I'm a big Giant fan. And he said to me, he said, Dave, what you're going to see, he said that a lot of people don't realize, is that with the, he said, you're going to get two big pluses going into the beginning of the year, particularly from last year. And he said, it's at the guard play position. And he said, one's going to sound obvious and one's going to sound different. He said, you're going to see Will Hernandez be a different player from where he was going from year one to year two. And he said, you're, you're going to see great increased play from him. And he said Zeitler, who he happens to know personally, um, couldn't say enough things about him on, on every level. And he said, but what people don't realize is how important that solid guard play is actually to the tackles that are blocking as well. He said when, when, when Nate Solder was doing his best with Brady, he knew that there was a, a, a box for Brady to step up into, which made the tackles' ability to just – not get beat to the inside, but make sure to push the guy to the outside. So his point was that that guard play for the Giants is going to impact the whole line. And, and I, I just thought from a technical perspective, it wasn't something I thought about, but makes me feel really good going into the, into the year. So I just wanted to get your guys' comments. Thanks for taking the sure. call, guys. You guys I'll, I'll give you an example. So you have Nate Solder who comes in here newly next year, and he's lining up with a rookie next to him. The first half of the season – Nate Solder did not play very well, and either did Hernandez. But as they got went along to the second half of the season, Hernandez started to play better, and they actually started to understand each other a little bit more, and then all of a sudden, Nate Solder's play started to be better, and then that offensive line kind of picked it up towards the end of the season. That will be it, and that's a correct statement. That'll be a, 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 that will be carried over to this season – and Nate Solder and Hernandez now are understanding they know each other. They know their tendencies, and that's going to help both of them. Now, you're going to have another center in there. You don't know who it's going to be, one of the two, Pulley or um, Jalapio. Did I say that right? Jalapio. I'm going to call him Jalapio. <laughs> like tilapia, Jalapio, whatever it is. Whatever rolls off your yeah, tongue. Yeah, whatever it is. You know who I'm talking about. Exactly. I knew exactly who you're talking So now about. you're going to get a little bit of going to the right side with Kevin and then who are, and then uh, Remmers, you know, those guys have to get a little bit comfortable with each other, playing next to each other. So there'll be a little But I, I agree with the, the, with the caller, Dave, that his, his friend who's in the Big Ten, it makes sense to me. It really does. And it's only going to be better. The guard play has got to be. you got to have solid guard play so that, that your tackles can just let them play. Because you don't want the tackle to be overcompensating because he's, of what they're concerned about out of the yeah. guard next to them. Yeah, well, he's trying to help out inside mm -hmm. so much that they're getting losing leverage on the outside and we're getting the quarterback sacked. Here's another thing connected to your point as well as the last caller, Dave. You broke down the left side. Well, let's talk about the right side here briefly, Jeff. You had Patrick Omame and Eric Flowers, okay? Then you went to Patrick Omame, Chad Wheeler, and then, and I'm talking about more Wheeler's perspective. Then Wheeler all of a sudden gets Jamon Brown. I mean, just think about Wheeler and how many different guards he played next to last year. And Wheeler's a young guy as it is. Yeah. So on the left side, at least you're talking about Solder's a polished veteran. Wheeler had to play with a variety of different guards. Brown joins the season, joins the team midseason. And, and yeah, the, the, getting those two guys on the same page. And, and Brown did play very well, and he, and he helped increase the productivity of the offensive line in the second half of the season. But their goal this year is if it's Remmers and Zeitler 
that win their respective jobs, specifically more so at the right tackle position, the right guard. We know it's Zeitler's job. You want stability. You want to know game to game. These two guys know they're playing well with one another. They're going to be practicing next to one another because the minute you start moving players around, you know, that's when that tackle guard dynamic Mm -hmm. is going to impact the overall production of the line. No question. All makes sense. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Clay in Brooklyn. Clay, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How you doing today? Good. Doing well, Clay. Lance, happy Brooklyn Day. Happy Brooklyn Day. Uh, I didn't even know it was happy Brooklyn Day, but I'm glad you reminded us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There it is. Hey, anytime we can celebrate Brooklyn, we're not going to turn that opportunity down. I will tell you that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, So you guys actually stole my thunder earlier with one of the calls talking about the inside linebackers. That's what I was calling about is uh, I know they don't have on pads yet, but I do know that, uh, you know, there's, you can see some things about coverage, um, even without pads. And I'm like, to me, the biggest hole on our defense is getting off on third down, getting off the field on third down because we can't cover people, as I've mentioned before on other calls. Um, I was wondering if you've seen enough out of people like Ryan Connolly, uh, uh, Nathan Stubar, I know is not by any means young, but you know, does he look any better in coverage? I know Goodson and Ogletree. I consider Ogletree like the Dave Kingman of linebackers. Is either a home run or, or a strikeout. And I just really get nervous when he's covering somebody on third down. Um, and also, have they been using any of the safeties you know, to take the linebackers off the field, you know, like as a linebacker, so to speak. So I just would love to hear your thoughts on how we're looking so far. Again, I know they don't have on pads, but as far as um, pass coverage with the inside linebackers. Well, one of the things that James Betcher, the defensive coordinator, brought up when he was asked about Alec Ogletree, he feels this is a really big year for Ogletree because he now fully understands the defense. And even though Ogletree was a veteran, it was his first year in Betcher's system. So when you have Ogletree and Antoine Bethay at the second and third layer of your defense, and both of those guys, we know Bethay knows the defense because he already had a year with Betcher in Arizona, that the communication will be better, the comfort will be better, and a guy like Ogletree doesn't have to overthink things. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be 10 times better as a cover guy, but, Jeff, I think there is something to be said. Year two, you're not overthinking things, you're processing things faster. He can get in a position where he can anticipate what his job is mm-hmm. and be in a better position to defend guys in coverage. I, I think that's something important to note this year compared to what he was dealing with last year. He's just more familiar. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? I mean, I, he's been active. He certainly has been active in practices, Clay. I mean, actually, the, the mm-hmm. play that Sterling Shepard got shaken up with his wrist, why he missed practice the other day, he was back today. Uh, it was Ogletree right. that was actually in position to prevent him from getting a big play. Now, granted, I know they're not on pads and, and they're not tackling right. guys, but right. he, he was in position to certainly make a play had he had pads on. So they, they have been at least testing him and putting him in a position to do that. Jabril Peppers is another guy, to answer your question, I was going to throw out. They've been putting him all over the place. And, and I th- Peppers right. has been at corner. Peppers has been at linebacker. Peppers has been at safety. So he's going to be that hybrid player that Betcher loves to turn to. Betcher utilized a guy by the name of Deon Buchanan when they were right, in Arizona right. together, if you remember. Buchanan was a converted I safety. I thought we were going to sign him, actually. I well, was, th- there was a lot of speculation. Yeah, but, so right. I, I, but I think Peppers is going to be James Betcher's Deon Buchanan. That, that, that's at least how I'm envisioning how he can utilize and a guy like that. One more question, if I may. This guy, Josiah, the guy who leads the NFL in vowels, um, what's his name, <laughs> Josiah Tauefa? Tauefa, yeah. Tauefa, yeah, the, the, the kid out of uh, Texas, San Antonio. Right. 
I know, he, if I remember correctly, he played inside linebacker in college, but they've got him listed at least online as an outside linebacker. Is, is he somebody they're also moving inside from time to time for pass? Because I understand he's a pretty decent pass cover linebacker as well. Any, any thoughts about him? Well, on the Giants roster, I mean, I actually have it up right now. They have him listed on the official website as an interior linebacker. They don't put him with the oh, outside good. linebackers. So I, I don't envision them, you know, having a change of thought there. I, I think they want to test him on the interior and see what he could do. But, you know, he, to me, is in the same boat right now, Clay, as a Ryan Connolly. You know, let's put the pads on and let's truly see what they could do. I mean, as far as being active now, yeah, it's great to see them running around. But I think Ogletree and Peppers, to me, I've taken away more observations from watching those guys than any of the younger guys who I don't think they're really thrown into the fire so quickly at this point. Excellent. Guys, thanks so much. You're welcome. Hey, you got it, Thanks You're so welcome. much for weighing in. Uh, I know, Jeff, you were mentioning something about Ogletree. I wanted to give you an opportunity to expand upon uh, well, that. Well, I was just going to say, it's just like anything. When you become more familiar with what you're doing and not having to think a lot on the field, you can you can react and play better. And that's exactly – that's just experience. And when he has this experience now in the system, um, like you mentioned, Antoine, Antoine Bethea, he understands the system because he has experience in it. It's deja vu a lot of times. You're in a position and you're in a you're in a defense and it's like, oh, I remember this. I remember how this works. It's just kind of so you're able to help the other guys quickly and then also put yourself in a in a position to win the matchup that you're put against every every week. Well, and you hope. I'm not saying we have proof of this yet, Jeff, but Marcus Golden being inserted into the linebacker position. Mm-hmm. You know, how much could a guy like that help Alec Ogletree? I mean, they, they're going to be in the same vicinity. So Golden knows a lot about Betcher's defense from a linebacker position, even though he's an outside guy. Well, it can only help. Yeah, Doesn't only mean help. that he doesn't understand, you know, what the assignment is for the interior. And, and, and related to that, the one thing Betcher talked about, and once again, I, I'm, we're not bringing this up for you to take this to the bank because <laughs> press conferences, there's dialogue, there's various questions, and clearly this is the time of year where every coach, I think it's fair to say, is optimistic about his team. Of they should be they optimistic, should be, absolutely. right? Correct, yeah. Jeff? Yeah. But, but the one thing that Betcher, the tone in him changes in, in my estimation when he talks about the conversations the group is having, Jeff, in the classroom. Forget about what's going on out on the field now. He feels as if with guys like Kareem Martin, Marcus Golding, Antoine Bethea, there's more of those guys telling the guys who were in the system last year and the new guys sort of presenting hypotheticals where, okay, if the offense attacks us here, this is how we have to react. If the offense attacks us there, this is how we have to react. And I just get the sense they were having conversations like that, but it was better directing it. Whereas I think now the conversation from an ex's own standpoint is amongst themselves. Yeah, Correct. That, that, that makes sense. And it builds confidence. It builds confidence not only within the group, but also it builds confidence with the coach. The coach understands, like, I don't really have to teach a lot of this stuff to these guys because I know that they're going to teach it to the to the other guys and we can move at a faster pace. And And I have confidence that if I get them in the wrong defense, which, by the way, it happens all the time, we're in the wrong defense, we got to change the play, um, these guys will be able to do it. Make I'm not so sure that that was the case in the past and that why there was big plays against this defense. Because I feel like the personnel didn't have the knowledge or the whereabouts to get into the right play defensively. I think that's a great point. 
And as opposed to years where you've got a veteran-savvy guy on the field who's the captain of the defense, who's the voice, and the coordinator feels good about him making adjustments on the fly. No question. Or or a very very veteran-based defense that has a lot of playing time together. You know, years of this, this, and this. I mean, you take a look at, like, the Packers defense or somebody where the defense doesn't change a lot. You know, you got that middle linebacker in Matthews who's been there forever. You know, or not the middle line, but he plays all over the place. But my point is, is that those guys play along with each other for so many years that the defense can just operate itself almost by by it faulted sometime. Like, this is just what we do because we've done it so long. We've had so much attrition and so much new players being inserted into this defense it's time now where you have some confidence in those guys that have been in the defense before. And I promise you that's why they're here. They, they obviously they can still play the game. They wouldn't be here if they couldn't. But it is even better that they know the system, which now we make this defense even better. Well, and even building a parallel to your career, Jeff, I'm sure you found it from just a special team standpoint, right? Once you got two or three sure. years into the you felt comfortable directing well, the other guys. I, uh, and I'll put it on the kicker. When the kicker has a snapper and a holder, he doesn't have to worry about it. I was talking to Aldrick yesterday, and I said, how's it going out there? He goes, good. I go, your leg feeling good? He said, yeah. I said, so oh, any struggles right now? He says, the only thing I'm struggling with is the other guy snapping and holding. Okay, so I said, well, don't worry about that. Those are not the guys that are going to be there anyways. you you got to worry about if you're if you're struggling when Riley Dixon is in there Correct. and Zach is in your there, main guys. then we got a problem. But don't worry about the other stuff. Just worry about the things that you know that is going to be consistent. So that is kind of a special team thing. Me, snapper was my biggest thing. And if I yeah. had one gunner that I knew that I can hit, like David Tyree, I knew David Tyree would make a play for me anytime I, I, I needed it. He would do it. But I, I guess to take it a step further, Jeff, when you're back watching the film, mm-hmm. you know, seven, sure. eight years into your playing career, it, c- coverage, you could give guys pointers, though, because no you question. see the field from a various different standpoint than some of these other guys. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the one thing is if I'm telling you to, it's going right, why are you releasing in the inside and you're going to never get yeah. to the right? I mean, just these are just things you have to, to learn as you go. And, you know, what happens with, with the gunners on a, on, a, on a punt team is they're trying to get away from the guy that's holding them up. They're doing every single everything they can to get out and they lose sight of where the ball's going. So they, you know, they're so concerned about getting off the line of scrimmage and covering, they forgot where the ball is going. And they're, they're taking an outside release, and they're fighting down the field. And the next thing they look up, and the ball is being kicked to the left numbers, and he's way out of the play. Now, the defensive mind it is, I'm going to – we have a return setup for X, either left or right. I'm going to force the gunner to go to the opposite way. And so sometimes they just are put in that position accidentally. And then you have to fight back to get in leverage and get into your lanes and get to the to where the ball was being kicked. But by design, a lot of the defensive guys are trying to get you to go the opposite way. Of course, yeah. You don't want to be in a position where you're essentially taking yourself out of the play because Correct. you're so worried about getting around the guy that's going to hold exactly. you up. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what makes those you know receivers are they make good gunners because they're used to press coverage, and they're used to guys putting their hands on them, and they're used to knowing how to get get off of those. How to react? Exactly. Make adjustments. That's why you see a lot of the the receivers as being gunners. And also, tall um, corners and safeties also make good gunners because on the flip side of it, they're used to going up against guys that are right that next are to you and using their hands and running down the field. And they understand the physicality. It's a very parallel position, yeah. if you will. Uh, it's, a, it's a great parallel that you just laid out. All right, let's head back to the phone lines, give an opportunity to Raphael in Pennsylvania, who joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Raphael? I do How you doing, Jeff? Good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, so I'm going to be quick here. Um, I just wanted to ask about the uh, 
like like positional players behind um, like the starters and how they're progressing. You know, like um, like Reggie White Jr. Just small people that we don't really hear about too much. Even like you know highlights of practice and how they're doing. That's it. Well, I mean, anybody specifically, though, before we let you go, Raphael, I mean, that that's a fairly generic question and statement, uh, considering yeah, there's well, nearly 90 um, guys on the roster. Reggie Bay Jr., Cameron Moore, um, I heard, uh, you guys already talked about Josiah and Alisa. Uh, uh, well, I heard Cameron Moore. Who, who was the second guy you asked about? Uh, Reggie White Jr. Reggie White Jr., the wide receiver. Okay. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll expand on a, a few of those guys. I'd appreciate you weighing in. Uh, Reggie White Jr. was a name that Jeff and I actually brought up yesterday, yesterday yeah. right? Because we were talking about if there's maybe something that the Giants are looking for in the receiving core, it's a taller guy who could be a big target. And when you look at the heights on the roster at that position, uh, Reggie White is, is, is nearly the tower of the group. 6'2". Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just going to be a tough road for Reggie White Jr. But, you know, like I said it before, you're in camp. You've been here. You know, most of these guys that are here, um, they're here for a reason. They can compete, okay? And it's a long shot for them to make the team, but at least they're here. They just got to do the best they can. And there's a few guys, a handful of guys that made it off of the uh, the tryout, minicamp stuff. So uh, this roster will change a little bit going forward, but for the most part, um, you know, the guys that are here, you got to make the best of it. And I, I can tell you one thing. When you're a rookie, when you're a young guy, a free agent guy like like Reggie White Jr., when you get your chance, you need to be and you need to be do well when you're in there. Don't screw it up by running a bad rep and having a mental mistake because that you may not get in there again. So you got to make the best of it, and that's why over preparing, you're doing your studies and getting the playbook and take this very seriously because you don't get a chance. I think that is exactly where I was going to go, actually, to add to what you were saying, because when it comes to these young players, everybody always asks, well, you know, what's jumped out to you? My response with Reggie White is, not much has jumped out. And the reason why not much has jumped out, Jeff, because this is what you were talking about. You don't remember him making some costly drops. He's going out there, he's running his routes. When the ball's thrown his way, he's making a play. And, and, and that's all you're looking for all you can do. out of an undrafted guy at a Monmouth right now. Yeah. Then when the pads come on and now he starts getting entangled in press coverage, now we're going to see, okay, can he beat coverage? So can he take the fundamentals that we're seeing now and could he up it a notch? Can that's block? the big thing. Can, can he, he block? block too? All of those things. Does, uh, Tyke Tobert, the wide receiver's coach, demands good blocking wide receivers. And we saw group. that last season, Jeff. Mm-hmm. See, I, that's the one thing I would say that jumped out to me about the receiving core last year. Yeah, I mean, everybody you wanted to see make plays. What about the Saquon Barkley runs and you see Shepard hustling running down the running over and next thing you're right? throwing his body down the field. You know, that just it just makes you feel so much better when you're, when you're a positional player like that and you don't have the football but you know that you did something to help make that play successful. And when it, and it doesn't go unnoticed because those coaches watch that film over and over and over. I, on average, those guys watch that game 50 times over and over. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, I'd want everybody to be addicted to want to, to watch that play. Well, what happens in meetings is that those, those, those plays are shown over they and over be. because it shows effort. And it shows about dedication and you know the biggest thing is effort because we've seen it on the flip side of it where there's a receiver running down the field and he doesn't even make a block and the guy makes a tackle by the way that one is shown over and over in the meetings too and you don't want to be that guy 
you want to be that guy making a great play like Shepard did, you know, running down there and making a play and, and, and springing the block for Saquon, but you don't want to be the guy that's lackadaisical, running lazy. That's not a good day for you. And go back. I was going to say, go back and watch that Redskins game. The second one on the road. I mean, everybody, I feel like in the receiving court chipped in, but in that contest, but that's the design of the play is for not only your lineman to block, okay, but the receivers have blocking assignments. They're they are supposed to block and not get called for holding, but that's how it's going to make the play work. If you're not, then, you know, those corner guys, corners and safeties usually lead your team in tackles. Why? Because people are getting to the second layer or the third layer. That's and right. If they don't make the tackle, Jeff, it's you're goodbye. in trouble. <laughs> goodbye. That's yeah. it. So. But, but it's the reverse to your point on offense. So the offensive linemen did their job. They opened the hole. And, and sometimes you see the offensive linemen get to the second layer too. But then you want to see the wide receiver, the tight end, push forward. Correct. You so that have you can maybe get the an additional level. five or ten yards. Yeah, exactly. It works, and if you're if you're the guy that's, that's lazy and you're running down the field and you're not doing that, they're going to get pointed out. So. so that's something to always watch out for in terms of the young receivers. With that being said, that's going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. A reminder, we return to our normally scheduled time on Friday. We're back to noon Eastern. We accommodated the mandatory minicamp schedule. That's why we had it at 1.30 p.m. Eastern each of the last three days. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.